Welcome to the Bull and the Bear podcast. This is Zach Attack. If you want a non-biased perspective on the stock market, stick around. I'm excited to share the information and news I've learned with you, so let's talk some stocks. So we're talking about Kemp Farm today. The ticker is KMPH. Um, they're a company that I'm pretty bullish on right now. I didn't intend to become bullish on these guys. It was kind of an accident. Um, they were surging one day and I tried to jump in and kind of ride the wave. And I jumped in right at the peak. And I had to decide if I was going to sell for a loss or, you know, kind of hope that they resurged. So I did some research on the company. Um, the, the day that they surged, they had just gotten FDA approval for an ADHD drug called Asteris, I think is how you pronounce that. Uh, it's approved for patients six and up, and it's a uh, prodrug. And what a prodrug does is it takes existing drugs and it removes a lot of unwanted side effects by attaching ligands to it. Uh, ligand is basically just a molecule that binds to a larger molecule and kind of change the composition of it. And what this does is it, um, it helps prevent the, the weight loss or stop preventing the weight gain that's generally associated with, um, with most ADHD medicine, uh, amphetamine type medicines that are on the market today. Um, the company itself, it, it did kind of trouble me for a few things that I noticed. Uh, one of them was that it had been suspended last May and then it was actually delisted. Uh, they were really deep into debt. And usually what happens when that happens to a company is they just crash and burn. They don't really correct that, but they actually regained their footing and got relisted in January. They corrected their $93 million debt. And they're, uh, according to their most recent report, uh, the, the conference call that they had the day that they got the FDA approval, they're debt free uh, and they have about $15 million in capital. Um, along with uh, the next drug in their pipeline, having about a $43 million milestone that they're looking at and the royalties that they're supposed to be getting off of this one that was most recently listed. So I got a few kind of things that gave me a good feeling about them. Um, I looked back and I saw what their most recent FDA listing was before this one, and it was actually in January. It was uh, an opioid. Uh, with the same thing, it was a pro drug and it was supposed to be less addictive. Um, I didn't look too deep into it, but it was recently FDA approved. And they have another one that's set to go down the pipeline, too. Um, the reason that they think they were able that the company thinks they were able to come back from that ninety three million dollar debt was because their pipeline is pretty impressive on what they have coming up in the future. Uh, their next one is a um, drug that's supposed to help prevent uh, stimulant abuse. It's supposed to help people come off the cocaine and stuff. Um, their current drug, Asteris, is set to be commercialized by a company called Corium. Um, they're expected to hit the market in the second half of the year. I looked up Corium a little bit. Uh, they supposedly are a biopharmaceutical company that's leading in development and commercialization of central nervous system healthcare. But that does kind of fit in with, you know, them commercializing this drug as well. I just briefly looked at them, uh, but it says they're eligible for up to $468 million in regulatory and sales plus royalties. Uh, the royalties they're looking at on this drug are um, high single-digit percentage for international sales and the 20% area for domestic sales. 
So it looks like they're set, even though they've had kind of a bumpy history to have a better future. Uh, the person who pioneered this, his name is Travis Mickle, and he's been around for um, quite a few years. He's got about 80 patents granted uh, to him between the U.S. and Europe. He's filed for about 100. Uh, he has multiple patents for prodrugs on hydrocodone, uh, amphetamines, other drugs that are considered high-risk drugs that he's working on making safer. Um, and that's about what I got for these guys for now. All right. So <clears throat> um, I'm looking at, man, you know, I'm late. So I'm looking at the, 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 the quarterly and the, um, the, the, the K10 and these are all trailing. So, and I haven't looked at the, I have, you know, the, what, what is it called? The, um, drawing a blank all of a sudden the um, investors call um so they may actually be debt free um so the quarterlies don't show that i'm looking at the balance sheet right now um and they're as of you know as of right now they're they're, they're pretty deep in the hole again according to the quarterlies which their new quarterly hasn't come out yet um, looking at their low, <clears throat> the 52 week low was one, uh, $1.94 and their high was 2208. Um, you know, when you get these penny stocks, they're always going to be, there's always going to be mood swings with the market. They're going to go up. They're going to go down. Um, even right now it's sitting around 10. So if you would have bought in at the low, you would be sitting pretty good. Um, you know, the, the company like this, it's at the end of the day, you know, when somebody says, oh, you know, I'm finally debt free, that's great. Um, but what did you do to get into the debt? Um, that That is what troubles me within a company, especially when it's the, the same, when it's the same leader. Uh, generally speaking, people don't change. They just get better at hiding who they are. Um, but just strictly talking about the numbers, um, the last... Uh, let's see the last four reports. They were, let me look at the, tr they don't even have a trailing PE because they were in a negative. Their enterprise value to EBITDA is uh, negative 21.16. Uh, that was 12.31. Uh, 3.31.20 is 23.13. 6.30.20 is uh, positive 32.49. Uh, uh, September of last year is negative 84.76. And then their current as of 2-27-2021 is negative 38.11. And, and for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what enterprise over EBITDA is, it's, it's, I use it to, <clears throat> to gauge what it would cost uh, a full-term investor, someone who is going to buy the entire company, um, what they would need to buy. So they're not only are they buying the assets and the earnings and the operating business, they're also buying the debt. So you use that number, you take enterprise value um, <clears throat> and you divide it by EBITDA, um, which is earnings before interest and taxes and, de and depreciation. Um, and you divide the two numbers and you get uh, a multiple. In this case, uh, the most current is 38.11. And that's, that's in the negative. So 
for me, it's 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 tough to say that this is a a buy. Um, again, just and even if we're looking at the what's you know percentage of held by the insiders, so that means the people who work for the company, it's only seven point twelve percent. Um, 7.12% of 18.85 million shares outstanding. Um, held by institutions is lower than that at 6.03. Um, there is no dividend. They do have some cash on the balance sheet. Um, again, um, maybe my numbers are off because I, I don't have the most recent uh, reportings, but currently the balance sheet that I'm looking at has 5.27 million. Um, <clears throat> with a with a total debt of sixty eight point ninety three million. Um, operating cash flow is negative three point ninety eight million, and leveraged cash flow is negative one point eighty eight million. So, um, for me, all of the, all that all this is saying to me is is that you know there's not a lot of cash. They're bleeding through cash and they're taking debt. They're, they're taking money from Peter to pay Paul, and then they're taking money from Paul and paying Victor. Um, so if they are if if they are debt free, then that, that screams great things. Um, I will need to see the SEC filings and not take the word of the CEO. Um, that's just standard business practices before I make any final decisions. Um, but yeah, for me, this this would be a a, a short play. Um, I would say that no more than I would say this company is is at best um, without the news associated with it is at best a $4 stock and that's being generous um, with news. Um, it's, you may, you may be able to squeeze out some profits around from, you know, 10 to $16 um, just riding the wave of the news. If you can get in, uh, if you can get in at the right time, um, I would say this is definitely a day trade play. Um, I will put their, um, the FDA approvals on the calendar and look to and look to um, ride the waves of the gaps. Um, that is a that's what I would recommend for this company. I wouldn't do too much more with it. So I definitely agree that seeing the proof that they're out of debt would be great because, um, like you said, I'm kind of just taking the CEO's word on that. It was pretty big during the conference call, but in hindsight, that's the kind of thing you do want to see on paper before you take their word for it. Uh, as for the value of the company, uh, the current stock value, there's a lot of analysts that have put out different numbers on it. There was one who actually retracted his number and brought it down to $12. But the average range on most of the analysts that you see currently looking at the stock, um, they're giving it a buy rating and they're valuing it between 20 and um, the high 20s and 20 and around 28 as for a low and high projection, which uh, seems... To me, just with, <clears throat> excuse me, with everything that they have in the works, seems to me to be a pretty accurate number. Um, maybe even more than that when you look at the things that they have in the pipeline, but all that's going to depend on how that plays out. I originally did intend this to just be a quick play. Um, like I said, I kind of went, went more longer term on them as a means to uh, mitigate my loss. I'd rather take a chance on, on them being successful in what they're doing than just take a loss outright. Uh, even if it's not a big loss, it's, it's one of those things where I did the research and I came to the conclusion that I do believe they have the potential to rise. Uh, so I'm going to give them a chance to rise rather than, uh, rather than leave in red. I, I believe that 
and I and I think I said this in the last podcast that I believe that every uh, there's huge fluctuations in the company for or any any company during the stock market. So during during the a year, let's look at um, I'm just going to pull up DIS for Disney real quick to see um, just to see the swings. Um, but all companies go through these huge mood swings where they you know they're really high and they're really low. Uh, for example, Disney has swung between $79 and $200. Um, and this is, this is Disney. You know, we can look at WNT for Walmart. Um, Walmart, their 52 was one of $102 and $153. So <clears throat> my point is, is that there, every company in the stock market goes through wide ranges of, of buying oversells and overbuys. Um, the question is, is where are, where do you sit on your the timing of the purchase? Um, and I think what ends up happening when you're dealing with a company that doesn't, that has a history of, of uh, shady earnings. Um, and when I say shady, I don't mean, um, um, you know, morally questionable behavior. I mean, bad operations. Um you 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 have to follow the num you have to follow the numbers, um, and in this case, the numbers have shown that they haven't been able to to turn it around. That doesn't mean to say that they can't they can't turn it around. But for me right now, um, this is a day trade stock at most, a week trade with with a, some type of catalyst. You know, I will for example, I would put this stock on a watch list and on the calendar with their FDA approvals because they um, clearly they've been shown to have a huge swing in, in, in stocks uh, in stock price. So, you know, going from a dollar to $22 and you know, a couple of weeks is a huge, is a huge jump. So because of that, I will put this on their watch list. And when the FDA approvals are about to come out, um, <clears throat> watch closely and see what the, see what the, um, where the the waves or swing, though not the waves, the, the the wind is swinging in terms of which direction the stock's going to move based on what the what the comfort what the uh, what the narrative is for the what the narrative is for the um, FDA approvals. So, uh, but I, I unfortunately I can't tr I wouldn't trust this company to to make me rich. Um, I would trust it to give me a quick scalp, however. <laughs> And when I say quick, is relative. So just to pick your brain for a second, uh, what sort of catalyst yes, or what sort of change would it take for you to look at these guys as somebody who could be a long-term hold? Um, so I would need to see at least uh, two years of positive earnings, um, two years straight of positive earnings, um, as well as a portfolio of FDA-approved, uh, not only FDA-approved drugs, but um, also uh, patent-approved um, drugs. So it's one thing to get a generic uh, approved. It's another thing to get uh, a patent drug proved, approved. Um, and once that happens, then yeah, um, you know, I would say we can jump on board and, and swim with the sharks, so to speak. But um, until those things happen, um, not so. Well, I look forward to seeing how they grow. Um, I think that the $93 million in debt, you know, coming away from that says something in itself uh, with, without knowing how they did it, um, it, it kind of changed, you know, it, it stops it from being a full-on catalyst, but it does kind of raise my eyebrows a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
for sure. I mean, you know, um, there's some financial jujitsu always going on in these types of companies. Um, I'm not a, I'm, I'm definitely not a hater, although I can, and you know, depending on who you talk to, I might be a hater. Um, but you know, right now, the company it scares me from a long-term play, uh, just because they have they don't have a history of of being able to maintain earnings. Um, they have they have in the past had some type of earnings. Um, but it was never sustainable for more than a quarter from what I'm looking at. So that leads me to believe that they rely heavily on the news, um, to, to generate income. And, you know, that's where it makes me nervous when talking about a company like this. Yeah, that's an interesting And with there being, and with there, and with there being not a lot of, um, assets on the balance sheet, because it's, it's all based on on you know patents and things like that which which can be lucrative um but in this case there's not many there's not much on the the balance sheet that really screams out oh hey you can i i have protection they do have about as of right now they do have about 500 500, five million dollars in the bank which is good but that doesn't cover you know the 18.85 million shares outstanding and also when you're looking at a company like this it's really telling that you know, less than 20% of the insiders, um, not even less than 20, less than 10% of the insiders don't hold the stock, which, which to me screams that they're not at, at, as confident as, as they're trying to make us out, make us to believe they are. Because I think if you, if you were sitting on a, uh, a gold mine, you, you would have as much as your net worth in it as possible. Yeah, that actually makes sense too. Um, there is there is one thing that I did not mention that I meant to, um, and it's about uh, Travis Mickle. Uh, before he started this company, he was actually uh, the director of drug discovery at New River Pharmaceuticals, and he was the principal inventor of Vivance, which is also an amphetamine uh, prodrug um, in the same field, the treatment of ADD, and that today is the number one uh, share leader in the ADHD market. So he's he's got the experience to, um, and and not just the experience, but he's kind of got that home run already, where he designed the number one drug in the field, and this is kind of his new entry in that same saga. Um, which yeah, it's a gamble, obviously, but it it seems like that makes it a fairly you know fairly safe one or at least a fairly lucrative one well so so two things um so let's we can break off for a metaphor for a second uh not even necessarily a metaphor but uh, you know whatever um nick saban who is widely considered to be the greatest college football coach of all time came to the nfl and he did not go it did not go very well he coached the Miami Dolphins. Um, why is that? Now we can say, well, it wasn't the right fit or it wasn't the right time or, you know, whatever the case may be. But my point is, is that when you are, when you take a job that does, that, that is, it seems on paper similar to what you're doing, what you did in the past. Um, we have a, we have a tendency to have a biased or, or to support that guy because he was successful in the past. Nick Saban was successful in college football. He went to Miami, 
did not go very well. He came, he went to Alabama or LSU, one of the two, and he's at he's at Alabama now, and he's you know won. He just won another national championship. He's probably the he's definitely the most winningest uh, a college football coach of all time. Um, and we you know we, my point is is we say all this stuff, and it past success doesn't equate future success. And again, maybe maybe you're right. Um, but we can't be biased in that in that respect. We have to look at the numbers, um, and we have to let the numbers tell us the story. Because people, men lie, women lie. Numbers don't. I think it's hard not to have a little bit of bias in a situation like that. Um, I feel like the past results might not equate to future success, but I think it's definitely a strong um, a strong suggesting factor. Uh, leading towards that kind of success? I think that CEOs get too much credit. Um, I think for every Warren Buffett, there's, I'm not going to say any names. I don't want to talk negatively negatively about anyone, but for every Warren Buffett, there's someone who's not Warren Buffett. Let's just leave it at that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, when it's not to take anything away from intelligence or ability, but it comes back to, um, it always comes back to the numbers. If you believe in someone, that's great. But th- at what point do you say, you know what, he, he isn't right or she wasn't right? So <clears throat> for me, um, just looking at the numbers right now, I would say hold off. Um, if, the, if the company is, it turns out to be a, a runner, then there will be another opportunity for you to get in. There is another buy, but just look like right now, based on the how I value, how I evaluate companies, um, I can't even put a place. I can't even put a number on the price. Everything comes out in the negatives. Everything, all my evaluation tools tells me DCF, um, dividend discount model, uh, enterprise value, etc. Not enterprise value, uh, uh, earning power multiple. They all tell me that this is a, a negative net worth company. All right, so I'll just close my side by saying I don't plan on averaging down on them. I'm not going to add to the stake I currently have, uh, but I definitely feel like at least holding what I have for now, I'll find a a profitable exit rather than a red one uh, in the near future. Right. And I, on my end, I I don't have any um, current position. I would say that no company is not worth um, um, trading. Um, however, I would say that in terms of a swing and or a long-term investment, I would say that this company is a no-go for me. This has been the Bull and the Bear Investment Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can catch us at 8 a.m. every Monday right before the market opens. Have a great week, everyone.